Hello, crime historians, and welcome back to another episode of a crime story podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Lois, and thank you so much for being here today. I have a little favor to ask. If you like the show, if you could please follow on social media. I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, It would really mean a lot to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I am so excited to be on some podcast charts now, and that is all because of you. If you could continue to rate the show as well as tell friends, I know I can get even higher numbers on the podcast. Um, But again, thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, let's just jump into my first German case. Today's story takes place in 1922 Germany. Therefore, a far different legal landscape existed. Germany runs on a civil law system today and is made up of laws stemming from the German Constitution and the federal parliament. Germany uses the inquisitorial system that involves judges in the investigation, very similar to the case I covered on episode 5, where we met the Judge de Instruction in the Petit Gregory case. Ordinary and specialized courts make up the German justice system, and as you likely recall from history class, the Germans lost World War I, and as a result, created the Weimar Republic. It existed from 1919 until the Nazis took over in 1933. Basic law or fundamental law controlled this judicial system, and under this system, basic law gives power to the Constitution. Our crime story takes place in Bavaria, Germany, 43 miles north of Munich on a farm named Heiterkaifig, which best translates into English as behind the woods. Located close to the small town of Wagen, which is now a part of Greater Weidhofen, the Gruber family called Heiterkaifik Farm home. Consisting of the father Andreas, who was 63, his wife Kazilla, who was 72, their widowed daughter Victoria Gabriel, who was 35, and her two children, Kazilla Jr., who was 7, and baby Joseph, who was only two years old. The family had also recently hired a live-in maid named Maria Bottengarter, who was 44. I tried to find out more about the personality of this family. However, with a story almost 100 years old and not being able to read German sources, I really just couldn't find anything. And I don't think that's very important as to older reporting on these types of cases. Nevertheless, this case has intrigued Germany for 98 years and remains unsolved to this day. Six months before the murder, the previous maid quit due to her belief that the home had become haunted. She claimed that she heard footsteps and voices coming from the attic, and it scared her enough to get out of Dodge. However, other sources claim that this could not be determined as fact. A week before the incident, Andreas, who was the father, noticed footsteps in the snow coming from the woods, but no footsteps were going back out to the woods, 
And there was also a set of house keys that were missing. Andreas also found a newspaper from Munich, but he had like no idea how it had gotten to his home. One evening, family members heard footsteps in the attic and Andreas went up to search but found nothing to be amiss. He did tell his neighbor about these incidents and his neighbor told him to get a gun, but Andreas refused for whatever reason. And he also didn't take it to the police in town. Other odd facts include that seven-year-old Kazilla telling her school friends that her mother had left the farm after a violent quarrel, but they found her a couple of hours later in the woods behind the farm. Also, the family allegedly stated that they saw a man with a mustache standing in the woods looking at the farm. It sounds like to me that someone was living on their farm without their knowledge. In the afternoon of March 31st, 1922, the new maid arrived for her first day of work. Later that night, an unknown person or persons came onto the farm and lured, some reports state, one by one, Andreas Kazilla, Victoria, and Kazilla Jr. to the family barn and killed them with a pickaxe or with a mattock. The murderers stacked the bodies upon each other. Authorities found the younger Kazilla with hair in her hands, concluding that she had pulled it out while she was dying a slow death. And that's just so heartbreaking to think about. The authorities found the new maid, Maria, dead in her bed in the home, as well as Joseph, who was dead in his crib or bassinet. On April 1st, coffee sellers arrived at the farm, but no one had answered the door, and they stated that the gate to the machine house was open. Young Kazilla missed school, and the family did not attend church that week. A repairman showed up to the house on April 4th, and no one answered the door, so he just went ahead and completed the repairs. He later told people in town that the farm just felt empty. Creepily, evidence showed that the killer or killers stayed at the home for days after the murders, which, ugh, which is just creepy and gross to think about. The murders fed and milked the cattle, eaten the food, and smoke was seen rising from the chimney. The family dog was tied up outside one day. Uh, but not the next when the postman delivered the mail, and the mail is also stacking up. All of this evidence provides the conclusion that the murderers or someone was living in the house after the killings. Like, this is just total depravity, and it's also very, very bold of someone to do. Not until April 4th did neighbors discover the bodies of the six victims. Although killed by a pickaxe, the two elder ladies um, also showed signs of strangulation, which makes me think that they were the intended targets. The mayor of the town and the police collected evidence and sent a letter to Munich. Investigator George Reingruber and other police arrived by train from the Munich Police Department after a couple of days and took charge of the investigation. Remember, the crime took place in 1922. No forensic science, 
as we know it, they weren't even known that DNA existed and multiple homicides did not happen and certainly not in a small town in Germany. People could not get their crime fix like on TV or podcast. So what's a crime story supposed to do? You read about it in the newspaper or you go see it for yourself. And this was honestly like a form of entertainment. And this happened in crime scenes, I want to say, until like the 1960s. People would just go to the crime scene and see what was going on. A spectacle ensued on the farm. And by the time the Munich officials arrived, people had touched and moved the bodies as well as other evidence. Spectators even cooked meals in the family's kitchen for onlookers. Before Reinberger and his men arrived, on April 5th, the doctor had performed autopsy in the barn itself. He removed the skulls and the heads of the victims, and the doctor sent them off to Munich for examination. Somehow, the heads got lost in Munich and were believed to be destroyed entirely during World War II. Like, how do six heads get lost? Like, what is going on here? The chain of command is complete crap. Anyway, so the town buried the family and their maid on April 8th with no heads. (laughs) If one believes in ghosts and haunted stories, this murder certainly provides an explanation for such. Once officers from Munich arrived, the real investigation commenced. They never found the murder weapon, but soon ruled out robbery as the motive because they found large sums of money exactly where Andreas Gruber had left it. While no motive became apparent, suspects started to appear. The first suspect, Carl Gabriel, aka Victoria's husband. So earlier in the story, I informed you that Victoria was a widow. Carl had allegedly been killed in World War I in France, but his body had never been found. And World War I ended November 1918, and the murder happened 41 months later in April 1922. But the youngest victim, Joseph, was only two. The timeline can only make sense if Carl had been killed in battle at the end of the war, and Joseph was closer to the age of three and not two. But why kill the older daughter, Kazilla? Like, who had fathered Joseph? Our third left out of field moment, Headless Barrio, widow, perhaps not a widow, the father of Joseph was Andreas Gruber. Yes, that is right. Andreas had not only the pleasure of being Joseph's grandfather, but also his father. This case is just, yeah, it's so, it's just so gross. It's so, so gross. Oh, anyway, apparently Victoria and Andreas had spent time in jail back in 1915 for their incestuous ways, making it seem like it was a consensual event. Wait, but just wait. Daughter Kazilla, who was age seven, was later proved to also have the same person, Andreas, to be her father as well as her grandfather. 
could have Carl survived World War I and then shown up to Heinterkaifig in 1922 to kill his wife and her entire family? People have stated that they met Carl after World War I had ended. And during World War II, a Soviet officer had stated that he had committed the murders on Heinterkaifig Farm. People believe that this officer could have been Carl. Police also saw the neighbor Lorenz Schlittenbauer as a suspect. Remember all those interesting details surrounding the days before the murder that I told you in the beginning of the story, such as like the keys being missing and the other offense? Well, the only reason the police knew of this is because of Lorenz Schlittenbauer. However, Andreas and Lorenz did not get along very well, and the likelihood of Andreas confiding in him just seems suspect. Victoria even admitted to having sex with Lorenz on five occasions and even asked for Lorenz for child support for her youngest son, Joseph. Lorenz himself believed that he had fathered Joseph and the initials LS reside on the youngest victim's birth certificate. Others note that Lorenz entered the family home alone after the murders took place and could have possibly moved the bodies or evidence before the police even arrived. Even years later, Lorenz, known as having such a big mouth, gave details about the case that only the murderer would know such as like that the ground was frozen so he couldn't bury the victims. Given the paternity and the child support issues, a motive certainly exists. And some reports even stated that the Gruber's family dog barked and yelled at Lorenz after the murders. Now, dogs know things, and I certainly believe a dog over a ghost story any day. Always listen to dogs and also... Birds, like if you see a ton of birds flying in one direction, something is coming. (laughs) Politics could have also played a motive into this murder. Now, the area had a traditional Catholic conservative roots, and Andreas vocally supported the Nazis. The Nazis began in 1919, and by 1922, they had gained a foothold in Bavaria, and only a year and a half away from Hitler feeling strong enough to try to to overthrow the Bavarian government in the Beer Hall Putsch. With local elections just around the corner, speculation exists that the murder aimed to keep conservative Catholics in power. A man named Adolf Gump, who could have possibly have dated Victoria, serves as a as a critical figure in this line of thinking. He also associated with the political group called the Freikorps Oberland, who at the time, at least in the town where Heiterkaifik was, opposed the Nazis. They later joined them and participated in the Beer Hall Putsch. On his deathbed in 1944, Adolf alluded to his involvement in the murders, along with his brother Anton. In 1951, authorities investigated Anton and cleared him in 1954 due to insufficient evidence. Some even state that the Nazis could have killed the family, stating that the motive was because the Heiterkaifik farm held value. 
The Third Reich had hideouts all over Bavaria and the rest of Germany, but the timeline does not fit as the Third Reich still had a decade to go before coming into power. The Nazis always provide a good suspect, but at this time, I I just don't think it's a plausible theory. Other suspects have been named, such as Peter Weber, who supposedly told a friend that he had committed the crime in order to get the family's riches. A mother claimed that her two sons, Carl and Andreas S., could have committed the murders. The former Nade pointed out several candidates, including the Thaler brothers who committed burglaries around the area in the months before. The former maid also suspected brothers Antoine and Carl Bischler along with George Seagull. Antoine had helped on the farm beforehand and told people that he thought that the family should die. George had also worked on the farm before and allegedly burglarized the home in 1920. A man named Joseph Bartle escaped from a mental hospital in 1921 and is believed to have been around the area at the times of the murders. The Heiter Kaifik murders have also been linked to German serial killer Frederick Kerman, who committed his crimes in the 1920s. Another theory is by... Bill James, who in his 2017 book, The Man on the Train, states that Paul Mueller committed the murders. Now, James, best known for as a baseball statistical guru, notes that Paul Mueller committed similar murders in the United States. Mueller was a German immigrant and allegedly returned to Germany at the time of the murders. Although similar, the U.S. serial killer always left an axe at the scene and no such weapon was ever found in the German case. This is just pure speculation. Overall, the police have questioned over 100 suspects in regards to the Heiterkaifik murders. In 1999, an elderly woman contacted the police stating that her former landlord had information about the killings. The landlord had made these claims in 1935, and by 1999, he was already long gone dead. In 2007, the students at the German Police Academy used modern police techniques to investigate the case and ruled out all suspects but one. But unfortunately, they never released who the suspect was publicly in order to have respect for their living family. They also announced that important evidence no longer existed and concluded that the crime would likely never have a resolution. I wonder if I I wonder if I know in 1922 DNA wasn't even a thought, but if they did save anything and there is any DNA left, I'm sure there isn't because it would have been tested by now, but you got to think. <laughs> But you gotta think. A year after the murders, the community tore down all structures on the farm and in the process found the possible murder weapon. But no definitive answer exists. Today a memorial for the victims exists on the farm site. 
Translated from German, the memorial reads, Memorial for the Heiterkaifik in the immediate vicinity of the crime. Godless Hand, the family Gabriel slash Goober, fell victim here on March 31st, 1922. Beneath the quote, the birth years of the victims are listed. A shrine also exists in the Weidhofen Cemetery where the victims are laid to rest. In the 98 years, no other structure has existed on the Heiterkaifik farm. So what happened to the Goober family and their maid? Honestly, I don't think there will ever be an answer. The incestuous relationship between father and daughter could have rubbed people in the town the wrong way. And what if a villager killed the family in order to teach them a lesson? Did the new maid have something to do with the murder? Doubtful, in my opinion, because she had only been on the farm for the day. And strange things were happening way before her arrival. What horrible luck for this maid. She was killed on her first night living on the farm. The theory about Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel, as the murderer is just completely ludicrous to me. No actual evidence exists of the man living post-World War I. And I do not think the family or even Victoria knew who fathered little Kazilla. If this man did live after World War I, I imagine that he would have returned to his wife and daughter and continued a normal life. Unless he wanted to get away from the freak show that was the Gerber house, which I don't blame him. In that case, he would he have really wanted to return from the dead and commit these murders? I don't think so. The murder could have also been politically motivated. It was a tough, tough time in Germany politically, and Adolf Gump even confessed that he committed the murder on his deathbed. But, of course, there's no evidence to back this story up. And the Nazi story does not seem plausible, and more related, they did not come into power until a decade later, and also I think if they were to do it, it's quite a, like, a crazy way to commit the murder, and it publicity at the time, as well as we're still talking about it 98 years later, so I don't think it would have been very smart for them to do if they just wanted the land. I do not think Peter Weber committed the crime because he said he was doing it to steal money and the police determined that the motive was not financial. The crime did not fit with serial killer Frederick Kerman's normal M.O. Uh, the former maid accused the two sets of brothers and I think that this should have been investigated more. I mean, the maid lived at the house. She knew the family. And would know better than anyone the inner workings of the day-to-day -day life on Heinter Kaifik. Author Bill James' suspect of Paul Mueller also seems ridiculous to me because we can't even place Mueller in Germany at the time. And his most famous murder occurred nearly a decade prior to the murders at Heinter Kaifik and also didn't follow his M.O., in my eyes, Lorenz Schlittenbauer likely committed the murder. He had motive and the means. I mean, he only lived right next door. But if he had committed the crime, why did he kill his lover and their possible love child, Joseph? I can't get past him, and I also can't get past him disturbing the crime scene before the police arrive. 
well-documented and possibly trying to clean something up or discarding evidence. Perhaps he snapped when he found out that Joseph wasn't his son. Evidence suggests that the murderer strangled Victoria along with the stabbing of the pickaxe. Before his death in 1941, Lorenz conducted and won several civil claims for slander against persons who described him as the murderer of Heitrich Heifek. That the investigation in 2007 by the German Police Academy conducted that was the suspect. He fought accusations against him to his dining day, and I suspect that he would be the one who the investigation conducted by the German Police Academy in 2007 could not clear. This is such an interesting case. A real-life soap opera with twists and turns and wacky and quite frankly sick elements galore. Like, I just can't get over the incest. Anyway, that completes the eighth episode of a crime story podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts on this case. I mean, it is unsolved, so you must have a theory by now. What do you think happened to the Gerber family and their maid? Who do you think committed the crime? And do you think this case will ever be solved? You can comment on a crime story Instagram at a crime story pod where I will be posting images of today's story. And just a fair warning, I will be posting crime scene photos. So if you have a weak stomach, just scroll past them really fast or don't even look. You can also comment on a crime story podcast on Facebook or a crime story pod on Twitter. And I would love to have a conversation with y'all, especially about this crazy case. You can also comment or see additional photos on my YouTube page, A Crime Story Podcast. And also, I've started a website, acrimestorypodcast.com, where you can listen to the podcast as well as read a transcript of today's story underneath the blog tab. Thank you so much for listening. If you could please leave a review of the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, it helps others find the show. Also, if you could tell a friend or two or ten about a crime story podcast, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Where I will be covering a case from France and you won't want to miss it. A Crime Story is hosted, written, and created by me, Kaylin Lois. Sources for today's episode can be found in the show's notes. The music is by Ross Budgen, and additional story editing is brought to you by my awesome, the best father in the world, Mike. Thank you so much for listening to A Crime Story, and stay safe and be kind. Bye, I'll see you next week. Thank you.